This message was recorded at the Creation Call Conference, Churches Facing the Environmental Crisis. Creation Call is an apostolic initiative of Christ Central. Christ Central is a family of churches served by an apostolic team led by Jeremy Simpkins. We work with over 275 churches in more than 25 nations and are part of the wider New Frontiers family. For more details about Christ Central, please visit ChristCentralChurches.org. Thanks, Tim, and um, it's lovely to be here. And oh, I wish I only had a hundred churches in the diocese. We have um, the diocese of Leeds has uh, six hundred and four churches, um, two hundred and fifty church schools, and about four hundred and fifty clergy properties. So uh, the whole estate is quite large. And I am the uh, half-time um, environment officer for the diocese. But uh, let me uh, go back to the beginning and uh, tell you a little bit about our journey towards becoming a uh, net zero, carbon net zero um, church. Uh, let me uh, just tell you a little bit of this, the journey that we've been on um, as the uh, Church of England and um, uh, more locally within the Diocese of Leeds um, on our journey to becoming a net zero church. Um, and this started uh, sometime actually before I was involved uh, when the Lambeth Conference, the conference of bishops from across the Anglican Communion, uh, gathered in 1988 and uh, set five marks of mission for the Church of England. Um, and the fifth of that, those was to safeguard the integrity of creation. Uh, and it's always been a slight frustration that that's number five. They shouldn't really be numbered. I think they are integral um, uh, because it's very hard to um, do some of the other marks of mission, like teaching the gospel uh, without including creation care um, or uh, meeting uh, needs and social action, which doesn't include um, the impacts of uh, climate change or biodiversity loss. So. Uh, those marks of missions have sat there for some time and gradually uh, safeguarding the integrity of creation has come to the fore. In 2007, um, the Church of England started a shrinking the footprint campaign um, and um, uh, that was a kind of a, in a way a bit of work that was a sort of prophetic work in the wilderness um, and I uh, joined the Darson environment group at that point um, and sat through many meetings where I was quite frustrated by um, the uh, level of conversation that we were having. Uh, it seemed that planting a few bulbs in the churchyard was seen as a great success in some churches, uh, where, as I was at that point aware of the um, impending uh, climate crisis that was really already upon us at that point. Um, and um, it took some time for that uh, prophetic voice, that small group who were advocating for change uh, to actually uh, have their voice heard. And that came um, really in February 2020, when the National, uh, National Environmental Working Group, which again, I am now part of, um, put forward a motion to General Synod, which is like the Parliament of the Church of England, if you like, the decision-making body. Um, and uh, we put forward a motion to um, uh, set a 2045 net zero target for the Church of England. 
acknowledging that uh, the Church of England has a huge estate of very difficult to decarbonize buildings. And during that debate, um, uh, several people spoke, particularly young people spoke very movingly about uh, the need and the urgency to take action and why as Christian people, it was imperative that we took action and showed leadership uh, and were a prophetic voice in this space. And a, an amendment was put that we should be carbon net zero by 2030. And I remember distinctly speaking afterwards to a one of the uh, members of General Synod who said to me, uh, where the, when they had heard somebody standing in opposition to that, speaking about the fact that this was a distraction from the main purpose of the church, which was saving souls, they decided that they would vote for the 2030 amendment. Uh, they were so... Uh, frustrated by the narrow-mindedness of, uh, of that gospel position. So we ended up with a 2030 carbon net zero target, which for those of us who had put the motion was quite a shock uh, because, as I say, the challenge of being net zero uh, by that date is enormous. Um, and so to the next part of the story, really, which is the where the hard graft started um, and how decarbonizing church, the church is an act of love. It's an act of sacrifice um, and it is a, a, a prophetic stance uh, speaking to the to wider society um, that we are going on this journey. So um, my role includes um, calculating the carbon emissions for the diocese. It's a lovely fun job with a spreadsheet. And we have a carbon footprint as a diocese of about 18,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide from our, our operations. Um, and uh, so, uh, as I say, we have uh, church buildings, church halls, cathedrals, clergy properties, church schools, diocesan offices, staff travel and we also have some uh, land some glebe land uh, all of which uh, are on this journey um it involves uh, as i say hard work in terms of collecting data changing policies um but what we found was that having this um uh, national decision from the church of england meant that we could really move much faster and harder. It was a, a peg to hang all this action on that previously we'd struggled to get much traction for. So uh, a key a key moment in having that leadership from our decision-making body as a church. Um, and like uh, many have said uh, on this conference before it's quite difficult it's quite difficult to get people on board uh, with this and uh, again a a a light bulb moment for me was when um a theologian uh, described this as um the climate change and the biodiversity crisis are the context into which we are now preaching the gospel it is not an issue it's not something that just a few people can can deal with. We are all in this context. And what does the Christian gospel look like in that context? 
yes, it was Reverend Ruth Newton just looking at the chat. Uh, and um, so um, we need to think about um, uh, what our churches look like and how they can preach the gospel. So uh, I don't know whether I'm running over time, Tim, and could tell you a little bit about a couple of couple of churches. Yep. So um, just to give you a couple of examples. So we have a, a fantastic rural church, St. John's Sharrow uh, near Ripon, um, and they have gone down the eco church path. So they have a silver eco church award. Uh, they uh, draw out and emphasize creation care in their worship week by week. Um, it's embedded within their, their worship. Um, and they see creation care as part of their mission as a church. They've managed their churchyard so that uh, it's very biodiverse. For those in the know, they have a, a thriving M8 grassland, um, which is uh, top grade in terms of biodiversity. Um, and they use the churchyard for outreach because people come through they walk through because there's a footpath going through um they uh, so they engage with people in conversation about nature and god and they um use it for the local school coming in to talk about um both the heritage of the churchyard and about uh, creation care um and um they are on a journey to decarbonizing their heat um, so they're looking at whether they can install solar panels and move to an electric uh, heating system so that they can come away from fossil fuels. In contrast, um, All Hallows is a uh, very inner city urban church in Leeds, and they also have a Silver Eco Church Award. Um, they run a food waste cafe, um, meeting the needs of local people as it's a pay as you um pay as you feel cafe um, and they've as a church have made a statement of divestment uh, from fossil fuels and have moved their finances away from um, any banks um, or institutions that invest in fossil fuels um, and their care for creation is fully embedded within the life of the church and the mission of the church. Um, I'm going to stop there because I want to allow a bit of time for questions, if that's possible. So over to Tim. Uh, you've been admirably brief, Jemima. So uh, if you have any more inspiring examples, um, please, please feel free to feed them in. But we'll start the question time and um, we've got plenty of time for questions. So do uh, do uh, put your hand up or put it or put something into the box. But I've got Michelle first and then David, uh, if you would like to ask ask your question, Michelle, that'd be great. Yeah. So it's about your carbon calculation, Jemima. What um, what period of time was that over? Oh, so uh, 18,000 tonnes annually. Right. And do you count anything that's offsetting those as well? Or is it like literally just what what's contributing towards it? Yeah, sorry, I should have said that's a that's a very very good technical question. That's a net figure. Uh, so um, we we now have a national ca um, carbon calculating cal calculation tool, which churches have to uh, send data back to the national church anyway uh, annually through an online parish return. Um, then we now have something called the energy footprinting tool, which collects 
energy use data. Um, and uh, in the Diocese of Leeds, we've established a, um, a renewable um, uh, electricity tariff um, scheme. We work with an, uh, an energy broker so churches can use that. They can use other people if they wish to, but uh, that's called the Green Journey. It's actually open to any church. So if you're, any of your churches want to use it, they're very welcome to. Um, there are details on our websites called the Green Journey. Um, and so uh, if churches are using 100% uh, renewable electricity, they can deduct that from there in our, in our, our uh, counting. So if that helps, yep. Thank you, Jemima. Um, could I ask David to put his question? Yeah, thanks, Jemima. Um, I, I obviously am from the city of Leeds. I work with uh, the Reverend John Swales, and I think he's, he's fairly passionate about this stuff. I think he would um, ask the question, and I guess so would I in terms of getting to net zero. How much does it include Church of England investments, which I know is, is, is quite a big thing, quite a tricky thing. Um, but how much does that include when it comes to kind of working towards net zero? Yeah, so it's a really, really interesting question about the church investments. So um, some of you will know the Church of England has a really uh, large pot of investments which are managed by the church commissioners. Um, and uh, those uh, go towards um, funding some of the life of the church, but also um, in order to pay for clergy pensions. And the Church of England has, um, the church commissioners um, have uh, been leading on something called the TPI, the Transition, TP Transitions Pathway Initiative. Um, so they have been grading all the different um, investments uh, according to their um, whether they're on the pathway to net zero. Um, and this has been a, a, a major um, initiative that uh, the whole secular investment movement has come behind. I think they've got it's trillions of pounds now using this transition pathway that the Church of England have been leading on. Um, and the so that has been a really positive step uh, that as churches on the ground we don't really see but actually within the investment world the church of england is really highly regarded for this work that they've been doing um there's a there's uh, been concern from um members of the church of england that the that those church investments uh, haven't been completely divested from fossil fuels yet um and the church of england took a pragmatic approach to act of engagement so they've held very very small holdings in a few uh, fossil fuel companies still um in order for them to engage with those fossil fuel companies and to uh, try to uh, as shareholders be in shareholders meetings and direct and and push those fuel com fossil fuel companies towards uh net zero and the transition um they are they're 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 really tiny amounts i can't quote them to you but they're kind of like less than one percent of the church of england's investments they're really really small uh, but they've been held on to in order to be able to have this uh, position of speaking into those situations. Um, and uh, that is to be reviewed later this year. So so that, so uh, I have to say compared to uh, many other, many secular bodies, you know, I'm, I'm just always amazed at how much the Church of England has done and utilized its investments to, to affect change. Thanks, Jamal. 
Thanks. That's a very uh, comprehensive answer there to uh, quite a, a, a difficult question. Um, Paul, you had a question. Would you like to put yours? Yeah, I, it's interesting that the thing about uh, the 2020 carbon neutral thing, I'm interested. I've only just discovered that there's a scope one and a scope two and a scope three. So presumably that's a scope one declaration, is it? Really good question, Paul. Sorry, I didn't drill down into that because it's again, this is all the technicalities of carbon Sorry, footprints. Uh, no, 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 it's fine. It's great. It's a great question because uh, it gives me more chance to talk about it. Um, uh, so uh, the ha having declared we were going to get to carbon net zero by 2030, we actually then had to define what that was going to be. Kind of would have been good if we'd done it the other way around, but we didn't. So, you know, yeah. We're all learning on this journey. Uh, so uh, the decision was taken for it to be scope one and scope two emissions. So just uh, so everyone's clear, scope one are where um, fossil fuels are burnt directly. So that would be your gas heating in your in your church building or your church school um, or oil heating um, or petrol from or diesel from travel. Um, and scope, and we'd also do scope two, which is where uh, uh, fossil fuels are burnt indirectly. So that's for generating electricity. Um, so that's your church electricity. Um, but we decided not to include scope three, and that's where um, fossil fuels are uh, are burnt with from the supply chain. So. That would be, say, the manufacturer of paper used in church. Um, the it, it would be the church investments, as David's touched on that. Um, building materials for church repairs. Um, uh, uh, the emissions from the water used in the church. A whole range of things fall into scope three. And actually, we just felt that it was challenging enough to start with scope one and two. And I can see that as a church, we will move to scope three post 2030. Right, thank you very much. Perhaps I could just put one final question to you, Jemima. Um, I'm struck once again this morning that you've been on this journey as an organization for decades, and we're very, very late to the party. In, in our work and um, it's really only in the last handful of years that many uh, Christ Central churches have begun to seriously question what we do. I just wonder from the benefit of that experience, how much effort you still put into convincing people of the need to join, join us on this journey, um, or are you content that perhaps with the majority, perhaps a large majority of people um, who support it with their, their heads and their hearts, that you just continue anyway and and ignore the voices um, that, that argue against um, from, from within within the church. Uh, be interesting to know what, what your experience is in, in trying to reach out to people still after decades of work. Yeah, I think I think thank you, Tim. Good question. I think now the majority are um, know we have to do something, 
Uh, it's a question of where it sits in terms of people's priorities. Um, and within the Diocese of Leeds, we've set up a structure where we're encouraging every church to have a parish environment officer. So a champion, like we've been talking about on the call before, um, to lead. Um, it's uh, it's really encouraging now with our um, leadership coming through. Ordinance are receiving really good theological training uh, and practical training on this um, coming through our theological colleges. Um, I have to say that some of the the, the that's uh, not necessarily the case with all clergy who've been in post for a long time. Um, we're also we've also embarked on a program of carbon literacy training for our Darson staff so that they understand uh, how this fits into their their everyday jobs you know depending on what their what their role is people in the finance team people in the education department all sorts of sort of roles uh for helping them to to come on board um so i would say it's, it it is a, a a very small minority who are um what we might describe as climate deniers or maybe more climate delayers now um but uh yeah, the it, there are still those conversations to be had. 